Welcome to Keep the Faith Ministry. Keep the Faith brings you timely messages with in-depth spiritual analysis of current events in light of Bible prophecy so you can prepare for the coming of Jesus. Listen to what the news won't tell you. Here is another important message for our times. This is Pastor Hal Mayer. Dear friends, thank you for joining me today as we take another look at the principles and types of of the Israelites' deliverance from Egypt and the modern and final deliverance of God's people. We are in intense times, and we need to understand them and forecast what is coming from prophecy so we can prepare. Let me say thank you for your gifts, and I really appreciate your prayers. I need them badly as we seek purification from heaven so I can be a fit vessel to rightly divide and share the word of God. Before we begin, let me encourage you to be a literature missionary. You can get copies, multiple copies, of our little witnessing book, The History of Tomorrow, Some Things Never Change, by Julian Archer. Quantities are available at cheap prices, so use them for your contacts or giveaways. Also, The Last Generation magazine is a great giveaway, too. Please get some copies and share them. Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, how we long for more of you. Your revelations of our times and discernment for the future through your revealed prophecy are astounding. Please fill our hearts with your love and understanding. As we study today, please help us understand the history of your people the great emancipation from sin, of which the Exodus is a type. And may we commit ourselves to your service. Please be our teacher today, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us read Exodus 3, 7-9. through 9. Moses is at the burning bush. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people, which are in Egypt, and I have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters. For I know their sorrows, and I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians, and to bring them up out of that land into a good land, and a large, unto a land flowing with milk and honey, unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel is come unto me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Sin is often addicting. It is a galling taskmaster. Have you ever experienced falling in the very sin you want to avoid over and over again? You know it is wrong, and you know it is damaging you while you are doing it, but you do it anyway. Sin drives you. It enslaves you. It won't release you. You plead for victory, but you fall into it again and again. 
Look to Jesus, not to yourself. When Jesus comes into your heart, he gives you victory. I don't mean when you have a the theory of the truth, but when you understand the magnitude of what Jesus has really done for you, and you learn to love him with all your heart, that breaks the power of sin. And it may take some time. God sees and takes notice of even the private tears and agonies of his children. Whatever kind of oppression it be, or from some other cause, he will always come to your aid when you plead for assistance in repentance. Maybe it won't be in the way or at the time that you prefer, but he will recompense you. You don't need to work for justice in this life because it will not be successful. If you see yourself as a victim, you will always have a new cause, a new injustice, or a new prejudice or discrimination to overcome, to distract you from what you really need to be doing. But the more important thing is that you will lose the blessing God has for you in the experience of endurance. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. Mark 13.13 13. There's a huge blessing in endurance. When you come out the other end, you have peace from your enemies, whatever they are. And there is something sweet about overcoming that you relish with great joy, deep joy. And they shall hearken unto thy voice. And thou shalt come, and the elders of Israel, unto the king of Egypt. And ye shall say unto him, the Lord God of the Hebrews has met with us, and now let us go, we beseech thee, three days' journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. The children of Israel were being persecuted in Egypt. They could not keep the Sabbath as God required. They were oppressed. They were forced to labor as slaves for the Egyptians because the Egyptians no longer acknowledged Joseph's God and despised his people. They had no religious liberty. They actually had to work on the Sabbath. And when Moses told Pharaoh he wanted to take the children of Israel three days' journey into the wilderness, to Sinai to worship their God and to educate them about God's requirements, it was in direct response to the Egyptian suppression of their God-given religious liberties. They had largely forgotten God. It's good to remember that just when Israel had largely forgotten God, God largely remembers them. While in Egypt, the Israelites had begun to be assimilated into the Egyptian worship. In serving the Egyptians, they were serving and worshiping the beast and the dragon. Egypt was the first head of the great red dragon and the beast of Revelation 12, 13, and 17, which represents Satan's earthly kingdom in all its phases since the flood. 
God delivered Israel so that they could observe his statutes and keep his laws, including the Sabbath. Psalm 105.45 Satan designed to force them to yield obedience to him, and he was largely successful. Today, God is calling his people out of modern Egypt, or Babylon, for the same purpose of giving glory to God and serve him by obeying him and keeping his Sabbath. But they are being assimilated into the culture of the times. God wants them to be separate, a distinct and peculiar people. God explained to Moses that the Egyptian king wouldn't at first let the children of Israel go, but he would stretch out his arm and smite them. God was not doing this to the Egyptians because he didn't want to save them or be kind to them. He had been very kind to them and bore with them many years. He was telling Moses that despite his mercy, they were going to reject his appeal and the revelation of his will. They were idolaters, and he foresaw that despite the history of God's obvious and marvelous preservation of Egypt from famine through Joseph, and despite the revelation of truth that Jacob and his family had brought to Egypt, the Egyptians had turned their backs on this truth and their history and enslaved God's people and persecuted them for their faith. They took away their religious liberty so that they could not worship God according to his eternal word. That is always Satan's goal. Today, despite God's miraculous deliverance of the small, insignificant, fledgling nation from the oppressive and exploitative Britain at the time, and despite that God raised up America to be like a city set on a hill in a light in a beacon of religious freedom to the world, and despite his providence in choosing America as the birthplace and cradle of the three angels' messages, which is the greatest revelation of truth, America has turned her back on all this and boldly legislated and codified many forms of sin in its federal and state laws and has rejected freedom for the slavery of socialism. God may not be able to do more and will have to let America go her own way. America, and for that matter all Western countries, now worship the same gods as the Egyptians. They are secular, anti-Christian, immoral, and licentious. They have little regard for life, as manifested toward the unborn, created in the image of God, and will eventually take the lives of those that they have demonized for other reasons. They will use the climate change, the LGBTQ movement, and many other tools to suppress religious liberty. But there is a question I want to explore. How did the Israelites become enslaved in the first place? The Israelites were free at first. The Bible gives us some clues. 
In Exodus 1, 8, 13, and 14, it tells us that there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph. And the Egyptians made the children of Israel to serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service, wherein they made them serve, was with rigor. How did that happen? The Israelites were free, free to grow their families, plant and feed their flocks. They owned land and bought and sold among the Egyptians. They became wealthy, but they were quiet and peace-loving, but they were very prosperous. Their economy worked very well for them. Patriarchs and Prophets, page 241, tells us, As time rolled on, the great men to whom Egypt owed so much, and the generation blessed by his labors, passed to the grave. And there arose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not Joseph, not that he was ignorant of Joseph's services to the nation, but he wished to make no recognition of them, and so far as possible to bury them in oblivion. The Israelites had already become very numerous. They were fruitful and increased abundantly and multiplied and waxed exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them, Exodus 1.7. Under Joseph's fostering care and the favor of the king who was then ruling, they had spread rapidly over the land. They had kept themselves a distinct race, having nothing common with the Egyptians in customs or religion. And their increasing numbers now excited the fears of the king and his people lest in case of war they join themselves with the enemies of Egypt. Yet policy forbade their banishment from the country. Many of them were able and understanding workmen, and they added greatly to the wealth of the nation. The king needed such laborers for the erection of his magnificent palaces and temples. Accordingly, he ranked them with the Egyptians who had sold themselves with their possessions to the kingdom. The Bible doesn't tell us how Pharaoh enslaved them in detail, but he began to criticize them and falsely accuse them before his court and before his people of being disloyal to the kingdom without a shred of evidence. Does that surprise you? The enemy has always done that, and it will be a feature in the end time. God's people will be accused of being disloyal before the final deliverance too. They have been disloyal to God, but they are reconciled to him and are now loyal. They will be put in a corner by the enemy where they will be forced to make a decision between their loyalty to God and be accused and punished for treason 
or obey the laws of the land and be truly disloyal to God. It will test them as never before. Listen to this from Great Controversy. Page 615. As the Sabbath has become the special point of controversy throughout Christendom, and religious and secular authorities have combined to enforce the observance of Sunday, the persistent refusal of a small minority to yield to the popular demand will make them objects of universal execration. It will be urged that the few who stand in opposition to an institution of the church and a law of the state ought not to be tolerated, that it is better for them to suffer than for whole nations to be thrown into confusion and lawlessness. Listen to the way Pharaoh put it in Exodus 1, 9 and 10. He said unto his people, Behold, the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply, and it come to pass that when there falleth out any war, they join also under our enemies, and fight against us, and so get them up out of the land. He had to justify the slavery to his people who were more or less fair-minded, why he was going to enslave them. It had to look legitimate, even though it was patently wrong. So, since they were foreigners, he said that they would be more loyal to the enemies than to the Egyptians. We can see that he had to take away their rights, their property, and their economic advantages. He cast his eyes on them and became covetous of them because of their wealth. And since they were industrious, he wanted to use them to build his cities. They had greatly enriched the kingdom, but despite this, he removed their rights. This is similar to what the Catholic Church is doing today. Rome is setting up the image to the beast in America. Let's just take a minute to think about this. The Middle Ages were dark because the Bible was suppressed and the people were oppressed and enslaved to church and state. There was no motivation to acquire wealth or property because the landlord would come and take whatever he wanted. The people were enslaved to an oppressive system and many were on the welfare system, claiming sustenance from the king's treasury. The feudal system was a form of socialism. The Reformation and its emphasis on the Bible produced a massive change, which brought emancipation and freedom from the slavery of Catholicism. The fact that the Reformers took a different course from Rome meant that they were exercising religious freedom, and which led others to do the same to varying degrees. Luther and other reformers insisted that submission of the conscience to the word of God and not to the Catholic Church created a change and took religious liberty to new heights. Without Luther, America 
could not have developed religious liberty. His wife Katie put the theory into practice, emphasizing labor, industry, and the concept of private property, and the modern era was born. Plus, Europe was now free to develop the intellectual resources that would make the nations advance in all manner of knowledge, the sciences, inventions, and it elevated the people from poverty to a better life, all because of the Bible. Katie based it on the Bible too. Genesis 2.15 tells us, And the Lord took man and put him into the Garden of Eden to dress it and to keep it. God gave man honest labor to do, but the Roman Catholic Church has always championed poverty as a virtue and has always promoted the welfare state, keeping the people poor and dependent. It was socialism at its core. The Reformation dignified labor and justified it, but it also liberated the people and made them largely independent of the church and the state, wherever Protestantism went. You can see why Rome doesn't like the Bible or freedom, and it pushes socialism. The Roman Catholic Church controlled everything and everyone in medieval times, but during and after the Reformation, Protestant countries became a refuge for anyone who desired freedom from Rome's clutches. Jews managed to establish the world's first bank at the beginning of the 17th century in a Protestant country. This permitted rapid and radical progress in Protestant countries to overtake the backwardness and stagnation of Catholic countries. Also, during the centuries of oppression, the Waldenses and others became itinerant merchantmen as a means of establishing and maintaining their own sort of independence, both spiritually and economically. There have been no dictators in Protestant countries since the American War of Independence or the Revolutionary War. But in Catholic countries, and also atheist and uh, Islamic countries, there have been countless dictatorships in the last 200 years. America, as a Protestant nation, was a bulwark of liberty, and the rule of law that was copied to a varying extent by other countries. Rome doesn't like this either. Rome is socialism and a dictatorship. Listen to this statement from Last Day Events, page 134. Roman Catholic principles will be taken under the care and protection of the state. This national apostasy will speedily be followed by national ruin. In order to make America change, to the image of the beast and enslave its people, Rome has to manipulate the United States into an image of itself with its social doctrine, its morals, like the end justifies the means, and its principles of economics. This is what the Vatican is doing presently.
Look at the economic manipulation. Pope Francis is pursuing a welfare state on behalf of the poor in the United States and other Protestant nations. And the Pope is pushing it too. He uses the pandemic as an opportunity to take society back to medieval times by transforming it into what he calls a just society. He plans that many rich people will be stripped of their excessive wealth so that society can be all on the same level. It is what he calls social justice. He plans to create a righteous society by redistribution of wealth. He is like a feudal lord. Other popes before him preached the same message, but the Catholic Church and a lot of the world's leaders want a welfare system that makes the people dependent on the state and consequently the church. That way they can be controlled. This was a policy that was consistently fostered by the popes in medieval times. It is Roman Catholic social policy. The plight of the poor is merely being used as a means of putting pressure on nations to achieve that socialist goal. This is the same socialist concept that is causing many in the United States and other countries to believe that with a new leftist government in the USA, the freedom of buying and selling, of travel and of work, will be controlled and eventually severely restricted. It is slowly enslaving the people. Climate change is being used in the same way. The common good is actually the mantra of Catholic doctrine. The Pope teaches that the care of the planet requires us not to use the Earth's resources. In this ideology, nuclear energy is out. Fossil fuels are out. But if we do not use the Earth's resources, we will greatly increase and expand poverty, which is in the Pope's interests. Socialism is the main part of the platform of the second Catholic president of the United States, and he has a Supreme Court that is predominantly Roman Catholic, to support him. With no Protestants, during the Trump administration, the Federalist Society was in league with them to place as many Catholics, certainly the most of any president, on the lower court benches as possible. No wonder there was so much fraud in the recent election. The end justifies the means, the Catholic Church and the globalists who are joined at the hip don't care much about truth. They care about power. This is all going to make America into an image of the beast. Eventually, they will do what they did in the Middle Ages and enact a Sunday law which will end in national ruin. This is the slavery of the Roman Catholic Socialism. And it's bringing slavery to every nation that is formerly a Protestant country. Other forms of socialism didn't go far enough.
To achieve the transformation, there must be a change in the Protestant understanding of private property. The Pope himself declared that no one has an absolute right to private property. That's next to saying that no one has any right to private property. The expropriation of individual property is legitimate when its use will presumably contribute to the common good. The Pope is working to put the Catholic Church in control of industry, commerce, trade, economy, and as a result, the people, by this method. Even the sovereignty of a country is to be submitted to a common good for all nations. But history shows that property rights increase wealth and lift people out of grueling poverty worldwide, while the loss of them, or the expropriation of property, even for the so-called common good, leads to misery and poverty. As Americans increasingly buy into this faulty papal logic, the country increasingly looks like the beast. The Pope is covetous and is violating the Tenth Commandment by his Catholic social policy, which is socialism, to steal the private property of individuals, industries, and companies. This will weaken America and the world and place the Pope in control of the processes and institutions. The Pope is working to exploit the weak points of capitalism and develop discontent among the poor for papal ends. He is not really working for the benefit of the poor. After all, they will remain poor. But they are only the point of discontent. And he is using the name of Christ and the church to sound righteous for papal purposes. It's all fake. Catholic countries are controlled already. But in order to make a big change in America to create a political transformation. A source of social unrest is needed to destabilize the government. Former President Barack Obama worked for 26 years for a Jesuit organization in Chicago that was dedicated to community organizing, which means exploiting discontent for political upheaval. He became so good at it that the bishops said when he walked into a room of Catholics, no one could tell that he wasn't Catholic. When he became president, he used his skills to further expand the social discontent and promote social justice. No other president did so much with such skill to create discontent and victimhood. These areas of discontent were racial, gender, and immigration resentments. Playing up the injustices was the key to creating this discontent. And when it was done by the President of the United States, it really had power. All these will bring disaster to Western civilization. 
This advocacy for the poor comes from a mere human who lives in lavish luxury. The Pope is a Judas who also fiend an interest in the poor in order to steal the money for himself. In John 12, 5 and 6, Judas at the feast of Simon's house said, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bare what was put therein. Since John Paul II, we have seen the popes urging the rich nations to forgive the debts of the poor nations and organizing movements among the masses f to fight for their rights. She does this because it places her as the defender of the poor, the weak, and the vulnerable. Actually, God never intended that the ranks of society be equalized. Listen to this statement from Patriarchs and Prophets, page 535. There are many who urge with great enthusiasm that all men should have an equal share in the temporal blessings of God. But this was not the purpose of the Creator. A diversity of condition is one of the means by which God designs to prove and develop the character. Yet he intends that those who have worldly possessions shall regard themselves as merely the stewards of his goods, as entrusted with means to be employed for the benefit of the suffering and the needy. And listen to this one from Councils on Health, page 230. Christ has said that we shall have the poor always with us. The poor as well as the rich are the purchase of his blood. The cares of this life and the greed for riches eclipse the glory of the eternal world. It would be the greatest misfortune that has ever befallen mankind if all were to be placed on an equality in worldly possessions. So rioting and protests are not in God's plan for America or anywhere else, nor are we to take up their mantras, because the papacy is acting and preparing to bring the whole world into Egyptian principles of oppression and bondage, especially Protestant countries. The Catholic Church is working to bring America to adopt Roman Catholic principles under the care and protection of the state. Pharaoh had plenty of time to do a good job of totally subjugating the Israelites completely. So has the papacy with regard to America, nearly 250 years in fact, and as the Israelites were not given freedom to keep the Sabbath and were forced to keep Sunday, the festival day of the Egyptian sun god Ra, the Pope along with his evangelical partners will establish a Sunday law in our day too and force all people, especially the remnant, to obey. Patriarchs and Prophets, 
page 242 says, The king and his counselors had hoped to subdue the Israelites with hard labor and thus decrease their numbers and crush out their independent spirit. That's how God's people will be treated at the end of time for disobedience to human laws that bind the conscience at first. Continuing on, failing to accomplish their purpose, they proceeded to more cruel measures. Orders were issued to the women whose employment gave them opportunity for executing the command to destroy the Hebrew male children at their birth. And the finer time of trouble more cruel measures will be adopted as well. Continuing on, Satan was the mover in this matter. He knew that a deliverer was to be raised up among the Israelites, and by leading the king to destroy their children, he hoped to defeat the divine purpose. But the women feared God and dared not execute the cruel mandate. The Lord approved their course and prospered them. You can never obey human laws and have the approval of God if they are contrary to God's law or his word. Continuing on, the king, angry at the failure of his design, made the command more urgent and extensive. The whole nation was called upon to hunt out and slaughter his helpless victims. And Pharaoh charged all his people, saying, Every son that is born ye shall cast into the river, and every daughter ye shall save alive. And during the final crisis, the whole nation, the and the whole world for that matter, will be authorized to slay God's special people, his loyal Sabbath keepers. What a terrible time that will be. And yet it will be a wonderful time, a glorious time. The remnant will be given the latter rain. They will be honored with heavenly defense, and they will have their bread and water. From Great Controversy, page 629. Listen to what it says. The people of God will not be free from suffering. But while persecuted and distressed, while they endure privation and suffer for want of food, they will not be left to perish. That God who cared for Elijah will not pass by one of his self-sacrificing children. He who numbers the hairs of their head will care for them, and in time of famine they shall be satisfied. While the wicked are dying from hunger and pestilence, angels will shield the righteous and supply their wants. To him that walketh righteously is the promise, bread shall be given him, his waters shall be sure. When the poor and the needy seek water, and there is none, and their tongue faileth for thirst, I, the Lord, will hear them, I, the God of Israel, will not forsake them. Isaiah 33, 15, 16, and 41, 7. And listen to this encouraging statement from page 630 and 631. 
could men see with heavenly vision, they would behold companies of angels that excel in strength stationed about those who have kept the word of Christ's patience. With sympathizing tenderness, angels have witnessed their distress and have heard their prayers. They are awaiting the word of their commander to snatch them from their peril. But they must wait yet a little longer. The people of God must drink the, of the cup and be baptized with the baptism. The very delay, so painful to them, is the best answer to their petitions. As they endeavor to wait trustingly for the Lord to work, they are led to exercise faith, hope, and patience, which have been too little exercised during their religious experience. Yet, for the elect's sake, the time of trouble will be shortened. Shall not God avenge his own elect, which cry day and night unto him? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Luke eighteen seven and 8 The end will come more quickly than men expect. The wheat will be gathered and bound in the sheaves for the garner of God. The tares will be bound as faggots for the fires of destruction. The heavenly sentinels, faithful to their trust, continue their watch. Though a general decree has fixed the time when commandment keepers may be put to death, their enemies will in some cases anticipate the decree, and before the time specified will endeavor to take their lives. But none can pass the muddy guardians stationed about every faithful soul. Some are assailed in their flight from the cities and villages, but the swords raised against them break and fall powerless as a straw. Others are defended by angels in the form of men of war. Notice that God fetched a shepherd out of the wilderness to plant a Jewish church in another desert and lead them to the land flowing with milk and honey. At the start of the Christian era, he fetched fishermen and other common people to plant the Christian church around the whole world. And God has, in these last days, fetched farmers to plant the remnant church to give a message to the world and to prepare his people and make them ready for deliverance to the heavenly Canaan. Each church is separated from the world by the Sabbath, which is a sign of distinction, and it was to bring to mind their Creator at a time when the world has forgotten him and his creation. God has unlimited power. He convinced Israel of Moses' divine command by signs and wonders and convinced Pharaoh by supernatural judgments against their gods and persons in the form of plagues. And he intends that the last deliverance to be no less dramatic than the first. 
there was a power that attended the proclamation of the second Advent message with signs and wonders that convinced the fledgling believers that the movement was of God. And there will be judgments on the world in the form of devastating plagues similar to the first deliverance and he will deliver his people today with a more outstretched arm than when he delivered the people from Egypt. God told Moses what the plan was right from the beginning and informed him of his success. Exodus three, seventeen. Notice the words. And I have said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt unto the land of the Canaanites, and of the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, unto a land flowing with milk and honey. These are the words of God. With us, saying and doing are two different things, but with God they are one and the same. If God said it, it will be done. I have said it, he says, and all the world cannot stop and gainsay it. These words had power to emancipate maybe three to five million people from an intractable slavery. Those words had power to defeat the forces of Pharaoh without so much as one Israelite arrow being fired. Those words had power to provide those millions of unprepared people with survival rations and water and firewood all through their desert wanderings. These words were God's words, and nothing could stop them. Do you think God's word has the same power today to deliver his people out of bondage to a Babylonish Egypt? Do you think that God's word has the same power today to break the power of sin in your life and give you victory over every defect? Do you think God's word has the power to sustain you throughout your journey to the heavenly Canaan? God's power is unlimited. Moses and the elders of Israel had to deal with Pharaoh, and they needed power. They must begin with a humble petition. That gentle and submissive method must be tried first, even though it is certain that Pharaoh would deny their request. They were to request to go as far as Sinai to worship God, and they were not to say anything about going all the way to Canaan. The latter would have been immediately rejected, but the former was quite a reasonable request. It was only three days' journey, and denying it was utterly inexcusable and justified them in completely deserting the Egyptian kingdom. If he would not give them permission to go and sacrifice at Sinai, justly did they go without permission to settle in Canaan. Though Rome determines to work against God 
and persecutes his remnant people. God's deliverance will completely destroy Rome and the whole system designed to force them to yield to papal demands. But God's calls and commands to sinners are so highly reasonable in themselves and they are delivered to them in such a gentle and winning way that it is only the arrogance of raw earthly power that would think itself capable of resisting God's power and standing against his people. And Moses is told in so many words, that all his petitions and persuasions and humble remonstrances would not prevail with Pharaoh. Nor would a mighty outstretched hand doing signs and wonders convince him. Only the severest measures would cause Pharaoh to yield. You can be sure that the final deliverance of God's people from Rome will require a mighty outstretched arm too. And Rome can try, but she cannot defend herself against God who has seen how guilty she is and whose word is with power. God said, I am sure that the king of Egypt will not let you go. No, not by a mighty hand. God foresees hardness and obstinacy. And though he would have them turn and live, they will only make the lives of God's people harder as they harden their hearts. Many today are hardening their hearts like Pharaoh. They will not be satisfied until God's voice through his people is silenced. I will stretch out my hand and smite Egypt, and after that, he will let you go. God told Moses that the deliverance of his people would come by plagues, which will compel him to do it. That is the same procedure that God will use to, to deliver his last generation from the hand of their enemies. Note, those will certainly be broken by the power of God's hand, that will not bow to the power of his word. I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians, and it shall come to pass that when ye go, ye shall not go empty, and ye shall spoil the Egyptians. God has his ways, many ways, of balancing accounts between the injured and the injurious, of righting the oppressed, and of compelling those that have done his people wrong to make restitution. For he is all-powerful and sits on the throne in heaven, judging right. Do we need to go into the streets and demand our rights and destroy buildings and commit violence? Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. It is not our place to do these things. Friends, our work is now to bring our lives into unity with Christ. No work is more important. We have nothing to fear but our own sinful hearts and our own sinful propensities. 
That's what stops the power of God. That's what's holding back the latter rain. Won't you give your heart to Jesus so he can purify you, even your thoughts and your motives? If you dwell on the injustices and slights, you will never rise to the unaffected purity that God needs for his people to manifest. Let us pray. Our glorious Father in heaven, forgive us for our lack of zeal in purifying our lives the way you want us to. <clears throat> According to your merciful loving kindness and your everlasting power, we ask pardon for our iniquities and sins, and we pray for victory over the enemy. Please calm our restless hearts and give us peace that passes all understanding. Make us ready for deliverance from this world, which has nothing to offer. May we be free in Jesus a little while longer. And as the darkness of night settles upon the world, may we shine brightly for him, we pray. In his precious name, amen.
We hope you have been greatly blessed by this month's message. Your prayers and gifts mean much to us. Thank you for your support. The song you have just heard is called Take Time to Be Holy. It is recorded on a CD with other beautiful hymns called The Way of Peace. It is sung by Melissa Collette. If you would like a copy of the CD, just send $16 postpaid to U.S. addresses to cover the cost, and we will send you one. Please mention the Way of Peace CD. Other international listeners should send $20 USD. The following is our monthly prophetic intelligence briefing a feature that brings you current events in the light of Bible prophecy, especially for those who love the appearing of Jesus Christ. We can see the signs of the times telling us that we are nearing the world's great crisis. May the Lord find us faithful. Our first item this month, We won't force vaccine, but here's what we will do. Although Health Ministry Director Hazi Levy yesterday insisted to reporters that, quote, we won't force people to take a vaccine, Israeli law doesn't allow for it. Speaking before the Special Knesset Coronavirus Committee chaired by M.K. Yafat Shasha Bitten, Sheba Medical Center Chief Medical Officer and Chief Innovation Officer Dr. Yil Zimblikman listed measures that are being planned to maneuver the population into vaccinating as a way of regaining freedom of movement. The issue of how to motivate vaccine compliance has generated increasing interest, with commentators such as Mike Cernovich writing, quote, government won't force you to vaccine. Amazon will. Airlines will. Banks will. You won't be able to buy, sell, or trade without the vaccine. As if underscoring Cernovich's words, Dr. Zimlickman told the committee, quote, Another thing that will apparently come into our lives starting in small numbers already in January, which is soon, and that's the vaccine. If we're discussing how to create motivation for Israeli citizens to vaccinate, I agree, you can't force the population. It won't work. We can talk about it until tomorrow. It won't work. What is possible is to create motivation. Whoever is vaccinated will automatically receive green status. Therefore, you may vaccinate and receive green status to go freely in all the green zones. They'll open for you cultural events. They'll open to you the shopping malls, hotels, and restaurants. You may decide you're not vaccinating. And if you do want to enter these areas, you'll need to submit to a PCR test. And therefore, I believe people will understand by themselves that the vaccine will return them to regular life and they'll vaccinate themselves without our obligating them. But the idea we're putting out is actually something that's starting already now. And we're floating an initial pilot we're testing and are ready to start with. Based on the PCR and based on antigen, assuming it will be authored by the health ministry. We're in the process with the ministry and of course serology and very quickly, already from January to add the vaccines, whoever is vaccinated may enter those green areas, that safe zone. Assuming we're discussing a protracted period when part of the population will be vaccinated and part won't, for a year even, we see those areas growing in size, 
and those people who are vaccinated receive the pass to enter those green areas in the cities from the south to the north of the country. Is this how non-buy, no-sell laws will be introduced to get people comfortable and used to them? Quote, And that no man might buy or sell, save he that had the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. Revelation 13, 17. Next, Biden's LGBT proposals aim to ban therapy for unwanted same-sex attraction, allow trans athletes in girls' sports. Following the media's projection of his victory in the 2020 presidential election, former Vice President Joe Biden has made, quote, sweeping promises to LGBT activists, according to the Associated Press. Biden, a Democrat, plans to, quote, carry out virtually every proposal that the LGBT activists have pushed for in recent years, the AP said. Biden's agenda includes allowing individuals who identify as transgender to enlist in the military, as well as allow trans-identified servicemen to enter women's only areas, and vice versa, and cover trans surgeries and cross-sex hormones for members of the military. He also plans to require all government contractors to have anti-LGBT discrimination policies and will create LGBT rights positions at the State Department, National Security Agency, and other federal agencies. The Biden campaign's website includes a lengthy document detailing, quote, the Biden plan to advance LGBTQ plus equality in America and around the world. Quote, the Equality Act is the best vehicle for ensuring equal rights under the law for LGBTQ plus Americans and will guarantee that LGBTQ plus individuals are protected under existing civil rights laws, the document states. The Equality Act, the passage of which Biden has vowed to make a, quote, top legislative priority during his first hundred days in office, has received criticism from conservatives over its implications for religious liberty. Meanwhile, many female athletes, including progressives, have expressed concern that the legislation will put biological female athletes at a disadvantage by allowing biological males who identify as female to compete in women's sports. The Equality Act, which passed in the Democrat-controlled House last year, failed to become law after stalling in the Republican-controlled Senate. While the passage of the Equality Act would require cooperation from the Senate, Biden plans to take several executive actions such as rolling back, quote, broad exceptions to non-discrimination laws that his campaign argues allow businesses, medical providers, social service agencies, state and local government officials, and others to discriminate against LGBTQ plus people. Among the things this plan would do is require medical staff to perform elective procedures on trans-identified individuals, even if doing so goes against their religious beliefs. Biden also has vowed to ban, quote, adoption and foster care agencies that discriminate against LGBTQ plus families from receiving federal funds. Last month, the United States Supreme Court heard oral arguments in the case asking whether the city of Philadelphia acted unlawfully by refusing to place children with a Catholic foster agency that does not place children with same-sex parents in light of the Catholic Church's teachings on marriage and sexuality. A decision is forthcoming. In addition to promising to restore full implementation of former President Barack Obama's executive order prohibiting discrimination by federal contractors, 
Biden has announced his intention to work with civil rights leaders to develop and institute implicit bias training programs for federal workers and contractors to address discrimination based on race, sex, sexual orientation, gender identity or expression or disability. A Biden administration would, quote, direct the U.S. Department of Defense to allow transgender service members to serve openly, receive needed medical treatment, and be free from discrimination. Additionally, Biden would work to ensure all transgender individuals have access to identification documents that accurately reflect their gender identity by giving individuals the option to change their gender marker to, quote, M, F, or X on government documents. Biden has also promised to restore Obama-era guidance that allows trans-identified students to use bathrooms, locker rooms, and showers that correspond to their chosen gender identity as opposed to using facilities designed for their biological gender. The Biden campaign's policy document also calls for a ban on therapy and counseling for unwanted same-sex attraction, which is called sexual orientation change efforts therapy. The Biden campaign derisively refers to this form of talk therapy as, quote, conversion therapy, and claims that it is deeply harmful, highly unscientific, and often leads to trauma. Last month, a three-judge panel on the 11th Circuit Court of Appeals ruled that bans on SOCE therapy in Palm Beach County and Boca Raton, Florida, were unconstitutional. While the majority of Biden's LGBT agenda focuses on domestic policy, the former vice president has also signaled a desire to make LGBT activism a centerpiece of his foreign policy, proposing a series of new positions in the executive branch dedicated to achieving this goal. Proposed positions include a point person for LGBTQ rights on the National Security Council to drive a cohesive message and strategy across our engagement with individual countries and regions a special envoy for the human rights of LGBTQ plus persons at the Department of State to coordinate diplomatic efforts and combat homophobia, transphobia, and stigma globally, and a special coordinator in charge of international LGBTQ plus programming at USAID. Quote, likewise also as it was in the days of Lot, Luke 17, 28 through 30. Next. New legislation could see Christians in Victoria jailed for 10 years for attempting to convert people. Legislation introduced in the Victorian government today could see Christians hit with heavy fines and lengthy jail times for attempting to convert LGBTQ people to Christianity or teaching certain portions of the Bible. The Change or Suppression Conversion Practices Prohibition Bill 2020 will empower the Victorian Equal Opportunity and Human Rights Commission to investigate reports of, quote, conversion therapy practices, which may include activities as simple as prayer. In a report released with the legislation, the government quoted an anonymous, quote, survivor who said he had suffered mentally, physically, and spiritually after attending a prayer session with a small group of Christians associated with a church in New South Wales. The anonymous witness suggested he suffered, quote, suicidal ideation and a complete breakdown as a result of the group encouraging repentance from what the Bible defines as, quote, sexual immorality. According to The Guardian, practitioners of conversion therapy seeking to change someone's sexuality or gender identity and found to have caused serious injury 
could face up to 10 years jail under the criminal sanctions proposed in the legislation. Those who tried to avoid the law in Victoria by sending people to conversion therapy out of the state would also face criminal sanctions and fines to a maximum of close to $10,000. Former homosexual Ken Williams, now co-founder of Equip to Love, has opposed similar legislation in the United States, saying not only does it deny his experience and others like him, but it also removes the rights of others to even question their sexuality. According to Williams, there are a number of reasons why anti-conversion legislation should be opposed. First, it lumps all efforts to change, quote, sexual orientation into the same demonized category regardless of how benign and helpful they might be. Williams uses the example of a 12-year-old boy who believes he is a female after being sexually assaulted for years. According to such legislation, quote, the prescribed treatment for that child would be a personal embracing of femininity and would likely include puberty blockers, cross-sex hormones, the surgical removal of his penis and testicles, and permanent sterilization. Quote, should this child not be afforded a right to explore potential causes of his gender confusion and potential pathways that might allow him to reintegrate with his biological birth sex? Second, such legislation incorrectly suggests that no therapy or help from religious institutions has proven helpful or effective for people desiring to change. According to Williams, quote, Last year when California proposed a bill which would have banned therapy from those desiring to leave homosexuality, people came out of the woodworks to oppose it. And as a result, we know hundreds of people from across the country and around the world who were dramatically helped by religious groups and therapists. Third, such legislation blames therapists and religious groups alone for high rates of depression and suicide among LGBTQ people, despite the fact that countless individuals have credited therapists and religious groups for lifting them out of their struggles and easing their suicidal tendencies. And fourth, such legislation elevates government ideology above an individual's rights to religious freedom. Williams notes that under anti-conversion laws, Quote, individuals, leaders, and even therapists and religious institutions are commanded to embrace homosexuality as something to be applauded, given no thought to potential ramification to a person's spouse, children, or to a person whose own religious or personal convictions do not align with that ideology. Victoria's Attorney General, Jill Hennessy, said of the new legislation, quote, we're sending a clear message no one is broken because of their sexuality or gender identity. These views won't be tolerated in Victoria, and neither will these abhorrent practices, she added. Victorian Premier Dan Andrews has been preaching this message for years. In 2018, the Premier said converting LGBTQ people would not be tolerated in Victoria, suggesting instead that it is the Christians who, quote, need fixing. Quote, Likewise also as it was in the days of Lot. They did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. Luke 17, 28, and 30. Next, dark winter. Millions of Americans are expected to lose their homes. A dark COVID winter is descending on the working poor of America as millions of adults face eviction or foreclosure in the next few months. Bloomberg. Citing a survey that was conducted on November 9th by the U.S. Census Bureau shows 5.8 million adults face eviction or foreclosure come January 1st. 
That accounts for 32.5% of the 17.8 million adults currently behind rent or mortgage payments. On Monday, we noted that on December 31st, many of the key provisions in the CARES Act are set to expire if there is no action from Congress. This could be catastrophic for 12 million Americans who will lose access to their emergency unemployment benefits activated in the aftermath of the COVID pandemic, which alone could be a drag of up to 1.5% growth in first quarter according to a recent Bank of America report. Additionally, the expiration of eviction moratoriums, mortgage forbearance programs, and suspension of student loan payments could compound the working poor's financial stresses, many of whom, about 21 million of them, are unemployed and receiving benefits from the government. The survey points out at least half of households in Arkansas, Florida, and Nevada are not current on rent and mortgage payments, equating to 750,000 who could face an eviction come early 2021. On a city-by-city basis, New York City, Houston, and Atlanta had the greatest threat of evictions come early next year. The most concerning part about the expiration of various CARES programs starting on January 1st is that it removes safety nets for the working poor. A lapse from when expirations hit to Congress and the new Biden administration expected to strike a stimulus deal is expected to be short-lived. The current economic challenges are a harbinger and are laying the foundation of severe economic stress when the nation will succumb to national ruin. Roman Catholic principles will be taken under the care and protection of the state. This national apostasy will speedily be followed by national ruin. The Review and Herald, June 15, 1897. Unfortunately, our time is up. Remember, there are more prophetic intelligence briefings on our website at ktfnews.com. It's been a great pleasure to spend this time with you. I hope you have been encouraged to live for Jesus, for we are near the end. Remember that God has a plan for your life and that right now you can make a new start with Jesus. Thank you for your prayers and support. And until next time, may God bless and keep you and your family in His loving and protecting care. Keep the faith.